Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 of Spooky Month. I'm Valerie. And I'm Carlos. And today we're going to be talking about the king of horror himself, Stephen King. Do you know that actually I met Stephen King? How could you not tell me this? I'm going to tell you the story right now. Okay. For you, I, I had it say for all our viewers, so you cannot blame me. Okay, okay. So we were eating in this restaurant in Valencia. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a restaurant that is a little bit cramped. Okay. So we were there and we are sitting on the tables and we see Stephen King sitting on another table. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And then he got up and because everything was cramped, he told me... Can you let me pass? I need to go to the toilet. That actually happened. Viewers, you can't see him right now, but I know him pretty well. I married him. I'm calling bullshit on this story. It, in fairness, though, I will give you props. That was a very, like, believable story. Well, it's your choice to believe it or not. I'm pretty sure that in the f- over four years I've known you, if you had met Stephen King, you would have told me. Who knows? That's no. something to brag about. I, a man has to have their secrets. <laughs> that's not, if that is true and that's your secret, it's not a great secret. Yeah. Well, now everyone knows. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> We're talking about Stephen King today. Mm-hmm. But before we go any further, I'm going to give a spoiler alert. I'm not going to list out all of Stephen King's books because that would take up the whole episode. They are more than 60. Yeah. So if you haven't read Stephen King's books, especially his classic ones, Mm -hmm. the ones that are pretty famous, Mm -hmm. I would recommend to pick up one of the books or all of the books, read them and then come back and listen to the episode. Yeah, start from the beginning. Start from Carrie and then you continue. You really can't go wrong with a Stephen King book. Well, there are some because when you write so many, you know, you have to fail sometimes. I mean, some are better than others, but I've never read one personally that I've been like, yeah, that was crap. Well, probably you haven't read Cell. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't read Cell. I'll... Put my hands up and admit, but I that is not you're not the first person that has made that joke. Yeah. Before we dive into all of the different books, I was thinking we could take a little bit of a look at the man himself. Yeah, that's interesting. Usually it's very interesting when you are checking an author to well to reflect on their life first. Yeah, and you know me, being a therapist, I'm very interested in people, and I have to admit, Stephen King is not a very lucky person. Mm, well, no, no, no. I mean, people will look and be like, well, you know, he he's a world-renowned author and he has loads of money. What are you talking about? But if you look at Stephen King's early life, he had a lot of stuff happen to him. You know, when you are, what you said, the king of horror, stuff has to come f- from somewhere. You yeah, know? exactly. Most of this is pretty easy to get information. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to be um, unraveling any secrets about him. No, I, and he has also biographies and he has been telling about his life. So yeah. I don't think it's going to be anything that we are just discovering any secret to anyone anyway. Yeah, So, the, but for those of you that maybe have only read the books and not really looked into his life at all, I'm going to go through a little yeah. bit of his early life. So he was born in Maine in America. He moved around a lot. Because his father abandoned the family when when Stephen was around mm-hmm. two years old. So his mother didn't have a lot of money. There was, you know, they didn't have a lot to go around. So that led to her moving around an awful lot with them. One of the main things that people who have read this knowledge about him believe inspired his horror books, though he denies it himself, is the fact that 
when he was very young, mm-hmm. his mother sent him out to play with one of his friends. Yep. And he came back early, white as a ghost, and wouldn't talk. And it was discovered that his friend had been run over by a train. And it is very much believed that Stephen King, as a child, witnessed this. But he kind of like denied it. So we cannot kind of like agree 100% that that happened anyway. I mean, I think Stephen King himself believes that he witnessed it, but he has no memory of it. Yeah, okay. You know how the human brain is sometimes trauma gets erased by our brain to protect us. Exactly. It's a a defense and... As we talk through the episode about Stephen King himself, you know, I think defense is, is a good word yeah. to just describe yeah. Stephen King. So one of the other things that inspired him, which he is happy to admit, is his uh, love of H.P. Lovecraft. Okay. Yeah, well, another master of horror. Yeah. Cosmic horror in this time, but another master of horror before his time. Yeah. So he first discovered Lovecraft when he was up in the attic with his brother and he came across a book that used to belong to his father. Mm -hmm. And it was a series of H.P. Lovecraft's stories. Okay. And he's been quoted as saying that he found home when he read that book. I see. Do you think that here is kind of like more theory than real, but do you think that his father goes away or he loses his father when he is two and then he finds this book of H.P. Lovecraft that used to belong to his father and then well now he's one of the best writers of horror probably okay. in history ever yeah. yeah probably the most prolific author in, in in the 20th century that's for sure so do you think that there's a connection there I think there might be especially since the, and this is a little bit of a lesser known fact his father was actually a writer himself Okay. A failed writer in the sense that he never had anything published. But okay. it, it was an aspiration of his. Mm-hmm. So I do sometimes wonder if maybe he felt such a connection not just to writing, but to writing specifically in the horror genre, because it was a way of connecting with his father that he didn't really know. That could be. Just my therapist yeah. brain wondering. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. And that could make, you know, for some people could make a lot of sense or at least everyone could think that there's something there, you know? Yeah. But there's even more to Stephen King's story. So, like I mentioned, they didn't have a lot of money while he Mm -hmm. was growing up. So they moved around a lot, and his mom eventually got a job uh, caring for people in a mental institution. Which, you hear mental mental institution, you think, oh, well, there you go, that's where he got it. That's horror genre, right? Yeah. Now, I don't think he really had much to do with it. Mm -hmm. But... I do think when his mom was at work, he did actually get inspiration in two ways. So the first thing is because they didn't have a lot of money, his mom couldn't afford childcare at the beginning. So the way of them, him and his brother taking care of themselves was she told them to read books aloud to each other while she was at work. Yeah, that, so, that's nice. Yeah, so that was kind of the way they kept themselves occupied and out of trouble and it really sparked their love of literature. Mm-hmm. They were soon very well known as being the, the brothers that were obsessed with books. And then the second thing is when she could eventually afford a babysitter, he had quite an abusive babysitter. So not a good one, not a good experience with that. No, he's talked about it a little bit and like 
this this babysitter would um demean him and physically abuse him like slap him mm. and stuff like that um so again an, a bit of a downturn for him and then of course when he was old enough to start making money guess what his first job was what was his first job he was a grave digger <laughs> okay at the end it's like everything is connecting you know it's like the author has made all these points just to connect the character with his future role in life it was one of many jobs he held throughout the years because he he needed to have part-time jobs to pay for his own education oh yeah i have heard about that yeah so he like was the grave digger he's been a janitor he's done loads of jobs but he eventually was able to pay his way through university where he met his wife settled down and had children that's when we kind of start the journey of him getting published oh well as far as i know he was um a teacher but the money that they had they lived in a caravan yeah. i i did and they didn't have much money i i would no. say that they didn't even have enough money to pay his son's uh, medication or anything like that yeah. so that's how low his beginnings were that he didn't ha they were living in a caravan he was writing in a caravan and they didn't even had money for healthcare. Yeah, no, he had had a few bits published, but nothing that made him a lot of money. So he was still kind of waiting for his big break. And then uh, then it's when Carrie began. Yep, Carrie was his big break. That maybe you don't know, but Carrie wasn't originally a teenager. No. Girl, no. Carrie, as far as we know, he wrote in one of his um, biographies, uh, the original story was about a boy. Was a, It was about a kid with you know, psychological powers and all that stuff. But he didn't think that it was that good. And it was one day when his wife took the book out of the trash can <laughs> and told him that there was something good there, that he just had to make some changes. And well, at the end, Carrie was born. But yeah. Carrie is completely different of a kid that has psychological powers. Yeah, but it's not a boy or anything like that and we all know how how the story goes yeah the uh the character of carrie was based on two uh girls that stephen king went to school with yeah. and then his wife in an effort to convince him to continue writing said that she would help with the female perspective so she had some influence there as well yeah exactly but carrie was a total breakthrough because um well, a lot of people connected with Carrie. Mm. A lot of people connected with the book. Uh, the book was a success. And then, well, he could sell for a good amount of money. That was uh, the first start. Yeah, when he got his advance, I think it was something like $2,500 or something like that. The first thing he bought was a car. Not bad. Uh, <laughs> whatever was necessary for yeah. him, you know. But you were talking about how... They were living in a caravan and they, they didn't have much money at the time. Um, did you know that they actually couldn't afford a phone line? No, I didn't at know the that. Time? So he actually missed what he has joked has been the most important call of his life, which was the call to say that Carrie was going to be published. <laughs> so they had to send a telegram. Oh. Yeah. So he was able to get it. But yeah, he came from very humble beginnings, but has made a massive career for himself. Yeah, and, and it's with this story when I think that we start seeing... I'm just going to go... I'm going to deviate a little bit out of Stephen King and go a little bit on Carrie. Mm -hmm. It's here where we start that Stephen King that focuses a lot 
on his characters, characters that could appear anywhere. The story, the fantasy story and all that stuff maybe is not that important. We have a, a teenager that everyone could connect with her because she had a very religious mother, so religious that even ex didn't explain to her uh, what her period could be or mm. that the period was close or... Interesting fact is while I was studying, Carrie's mother <laughs> was one of the characters that we studied to represent a, a person with borderline personality disorder. Yeah, and at the end, Carrie is bullied and, you know, everyone can connect with her because, you know, at the end is someone that no one wants to be her friends, that she doesn't fit, she mm. doesn't belong. And who hasn't felt like that in the... Well, high school, you know, when they were a teenager, that yeah. sometimes they didn't belong. So that's why people could connect with Carrie. Even I could say, or I could bet, that even in that moment where Carrie, with her powers awoken, she closes the door of the gym uh, in the high school and starts killing people. For some people, I am sure for some of the readers, it wasn't a horrific action. A lot of people would think, they deserved it mm. because they never understood Carrie because Carrie never did anything wrong in that sense. She tried to fit, but because of the teachings of her mother or whatever, or because the other people at the high school mocked at her. Yeah, It is very interesting because here Stephen King, I don't think that he's telling a horror history. I think he's telling the history of someone that doesn't fit. Of course, yeah. then you, we have the fantasy stuff about the psychological powers and all that mm. stuff. But what is really important here and that we will see in the rest of his books and that we will keep talking about that in our podcast is that how Stephen King is a writer about characters. Yeah. And it's quite... We were talking a bit about this in our villains episode. Yeah is that one, some of the best um, villains mm -hmm. are the ones you can connect with and somewhat understand. And I think Carrie kind of fits into that kind of situation. You can see her as a villain because she's killing people, but you also understand why she does it. Oh, that, you it, understand where she's coming from. Yeah, it feels almost like karma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can tell you that for the adaptations of Carrie to the big screen, to the cinema, I think it's one of the best adaptations. It's really well... I agree. Uh, it's really well adapted. Mm -hmm. So it's also one of the good ones. Then there are others that they are not so well adapted. There, he, there are a lot of bad movies coming from Stephen King novels, but mm. Carrie, I think it's a really good yeah, one. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen an adaption where I'm like, oh, this is crap. There are some, but like, for example, I wasn't a big fan of Dreamcatcher. I love Dreamcatcher, the book. I didn't like the, the movie. And I wasn't a big fan of the Children of Corn, neither, mm. the movie. So. Oh, no, I was meaning that there's not been a, a movie adaption of Carrie that I've Ah, of Carrie, of Carrie. Okay, yeah. I thought you meant the Stephen oh, King. Oh, no, there's definitely movie adaptions from Stephen King books that I haven't liked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's not Stephen King's fault. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the continuing with Carrie is, is that, no? Stephen King connects with the reader really well because he's telling the story of Carrie that is a teenager that doesn't fit. And in his next book, that is kind of like the mysteries of Salem's Lot, the, some people will tell you, oh, that's a, a book about vampires. It's not about normal people. Mm. But what it goes about Salem's Lot 
a lot. It's, it's, um, it's about a small town and how people in small towns behave and how people talk and how people, you know, is mean to each other. Mm. And they, so it's the the big hell of small towns, you yeah. know, and mob mentality. Yeah. So <laughs> sometimes people forget about that. It's like, of course, Salem's Lot is about vampires, mm -hmm. but if you remove that part of the vampires, the same as if you remove that part of the psychological powers of Carrie, you find very mundane issues that affect or that could affect anyone. And that's why Stephen King started connecting with anyone so easily. Yeah, I think he is really good at creating stories out of very everyday things. So for a good example of that is uh, Pet Cemetery. Yeah. So he got the inspiration for that because one of his houses is on a main road and he would see cars knock over and kill animals. There'd be a lot of roadkill. But one in time in particular, his daughter's cat was knocked down and passed away. Oh. And they he had to explain death to her and then he had to help her bury the the cat in the forest and he kind of thought to himself oh, what would happen if this cat came back to life and it wasn't quite right? And then he took it a step further and was like, well, what, what if this was a child? Yeah. And he actually believes for himself anyway that Pet Cemetery is his scariest book. Well, there are a lot of people that think that Pet Cemetery is one of the best books of Stephen King. I don't think that because there is one book that we are going to talk later Um of Stephen King that it was the one that really branded me as a big Stephen King fan. So that will be my, that's my favorite book of Stephen King. But Pet Cemetery, it's really interesting. And one of the most interesting things, and it's one of the things that we can really start defining Stephen King with, is that, yes, a lot of his books and most of his books have that horror component, but it is also true that most of those books have also a fantastic component, like, for example, the Dark Tower saga or, or well, Pet Cemetery or, or others. But also, most of his books, as we were saying, they really deal with day-to-day -day issues or day-to-day mm. problems. Just a dramatic element. Like, my, exactly. my first experience with Stephen King was not one of his more classic horror books. Mm -hmm. My I think my dad had recently moved in with yeah. us and I was going through his book collection and he had a, a book by Stephen King called um, Rose Matter mm -hmm. which is more it does have like a fantasy mythological element but it's more towards the end yeah. of the book that for me the main sense of that book I got was it was more a drama yeah kind of thriller almost than a horror it's it's about domestic abuse and a lot of people who read that book felt that it was a bit too try-hard, but as someone who has experience in a domestic abuse atmosphere, I thought it was written really well. And that was my introduction to Stephen King, and I was hooked from there. But that that's what we are talking, and that's what marked you. It marked you the um, domestic abuse. Hmm. Then you have that fantastic things or some... Yeah, but the characters were so believable. Like I was really surprised especially that early on because like Stephen King has been writing since well been a published writer since the 70s I think well yeah but we have uh for example it's not a Stephen King is um Richard Bachman but for example the long walk I think is uh 
1976 or 1977. Yeah. So, and that's already when he has to be Richard Bachman. So you have to yeah. imagine. And we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, we will get into that. But just to, it's because one that I have the date in my head. You yeah, know? yeah. So, but the thing that stood out for me about that book was he was really good at writing the fear of the main character, which is a woman. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure his wife helped with this character like she helped with Carrie, but I still find it very interesting that uh, a male author is able to write the fear of a domestic abuse situation from the perspective of a woman so well. And it won't be the first time he does it. No. He does it, he will do it, and he will repeat it with Beverly Marsh mm. in the future with it. Yeah. Beverly Marsh is one of the members of the... The Losers. Uh, the Losers Club, yeah. And, well, there will be some domestic abuse there, and, you know, her father, there's hinted that he hits her and maybe something else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he describes it everything very deeply and it is very harsh and i think it's one of the scariest scariest things of yeah. stephen king but that's the great thing about him yes some people think he's almost too horrific too harsh but it's real exactly and i think that's what makes his book so scary is there are elements of it that feel so real mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And he's really good at capturing that. He's really good at capturing that. And to be honest with you, before we continue, I'm really happy that nowadays, in 2022, there's this trend of people that is revisiting more the books of Stephen King. Because I, I feel personally mm. that kind of like in the 2000s, it was kind of like a meme that, oh, Stephen King, they, they, he's not a big writer. He just makes a book... Uh, about everything he just takes a cell phone and he will make a horror book about that or he make he takes a car and he makes a horror book about that so in kind of like in the mainstream mm. i'm not talking about the people that reach horror i'm talking about in the mainstream media or in the mainstream people in the people on the street they may think he's not really a really good writer he just writes about everything and that's it you know mm. but i am happy that in 2022 uh, a lot of people is re-reading his books and he's getting all the recognition that he truly deserves because we have to think that he has been writing for a lot a long time he has struggled a lot on his life we will continue with that he has written more than 65 books mm. he probably is the writer that has written more books in the year 20 uh, sorry in the in the 20th century mm -hmm. because in the 21st maybe maybe there with brandon sanderson i wouldn't know who has written more <laughs> books but in the fight 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 yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly but at least in the 20th century i i i i cannot think who has written more books and also it's not only more books it's books of the quality like carrie mm -hmm. pet cemetery the shining it the shining Misery, mm -hmm. you know, they, they are good books all, all around. Of course, as we said before, there are other books that are not as good. I still think even the books that aren't as good by Stephen King, by normal standards, are still pretty okay. <laughs> oh, no. And it we are talking about a man that knows so well his stuff that he is one of those writers. There are not so many writers that do this. Most of the writers, as you may know or maybe not, 
uh, maybe I'm discovering something for you. But most of the writers, when they have to write, they plan their book. Mm -hmm. They sit and they plan more or less at least the characters, what is going to happen, what they have kind of like a, 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 a they have guided their, their route or, or yeah. their path so they know how the structure is going to follow. Mm -hmm. But Stephen King doesn't do that. Stephen King just sits and writes. Every day. Every day. Although he saw the ones in an interview that the only days that he doesn't write is on Christmas and on his birthday. But then he said that that was a lie because it looked like a maniac or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but that's something that I want to touch on a little bit. Yeah, we, we, I, I just want to finish with, yeah. with saying that that's how he is, how good he is, that he just sits and writes without nothing, without a compass. Mm. He just goes and writes. Of course, that what it happens is that sometimes it brings you to some endings that they are not as fulfilling as others because they haven't been planned and sometimes the endings feel a little bit forced. Mm. But he's so good on that. And and that I think that that's something that it's, it's people should really recognize, you know? No, and it is. Like, I remember reading, um, I think it was an interview mm -hmm. with George R.R. R. Martin where he was talking to Stephen King or something like that. And George R.R. R. Martin was like, as everyone knows, because we've been waiting for a new Game of Thrones book for forever. Well, I don't remember... <laughs> Winds of Winter, I don't remember <laughs> when it came out. Yeah, I can't remember if he was just talking about Stephen King or they were talking together. But um, I know Dance with Dragons, Winds of Winter hasn't gone out ever. Yeah. But he like he can't, George R. R. Martin can't write every day. And he was asking Stephen King, you know, how he brings out so many books all the time. And he's like, I write every day. And uh -huh. George R. R. Martin was like, how? Yeah, he's <laughs> like, and he was like something like, I write six pages every day yeah at least six pages every day and george R. martin is like i am happy when a month i write six pages yeah 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 but that something about stephen king is though he has admitted addiction issues yeah. like he's been addicted to alcohol he's been addicted to substances i think his writing is also an addiction i think anything that when you feel a need to do it instead of a want to do it is bordering on addiction and I think Stephen King is addicted to writing. Well, even but now that you are saying that, even I think it's one of his biographies, he says that he feels sometimes sick when he hasn't been able to write for a day. So if you feel sick because you are not able to do an activity, mm. whichever is the activity, even if it's something as rich as writing or world building or whatever, mm. but even if it's something like that, that's... That has to be for sure an addiction. I'm not the expert here, <laughs> but it looks like it. Yeah, for me, like if, if Stephen King walked into my therapy office and sat down and told me that he gets sick on days that he can't write, I would be immediately thinking addiction issues. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people mistakenly think all addictions are bad. This addiction has made a career money, fame, brought a lot of good things. But it can be bad too sometimes, I suppose. It can be bad. Like if it gets to a stage where you're physically ill because you can't do something like writing, like that's not good for you. Although we have to say that also this addiction has saved his sanity sometimes like when he was run over by a, by a truck or by a van. Yes, he had a quite a serious accident um, where he was hit by a, a van and was in hospital for, I think, about three months. Three months. 
And it even got to the stage that when he was home and trying to recover, he couldn't sit for longer than 40 minutes because he would be in a lot of pain, which mm-hmm. obviously affected his writing quite a bit. Yeah, no, some people say that he wasn't even able to use his usual tools for writing. So he had to go back to the start and use paper and you yeah. know, paper and pen. But I still find a way because I think he had that need. Sure. He had to do it or he just wasn't himself. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings us to the fact that his addiction to writing might be so bad that he actually had to break publishing rules. Oh, well, yeah, because uh, he had to use, as we were saying before, he has to use a second character. Yeah, he used uh, an alternative name. To, so he could release more books. That that name is uh, Richard Bachman. Yeah, Richard Bachman. That, to be honest with you, uh, he has... Um, I'm not sure. He has seven or eight books. He, I, I don't remember he has a lot of books under Richard Bachman's yeah. name. And for me, the best book of Richard Bachman is The Long Walk. Not a big fan of the others. Mm-hmm. But The Long Walk is one of those books that if you haven't read it, but you have read something like... The Hunger Games or Battle Royale or things like that, I really recommend you to read The Long Walk because you are going to find a dystopian world and you're going to find something very similar. It's horrifying (laughs) because I think that even nowadays the world and Hollywood has never made an an adaptation to cinema of The Long Walk because still the world is not prepared. It's not ready. It's not ready for something like that. But you can see if you read The Long Walk, if you have never read The Long Walk for Stephen King or Richard Bachman in this case, I think that you will like it if you have liked The Hunger Games from Suzanne Collins or, you know. I I think that is a book that you should read if you have never read it personally. Yeah. The whole Richard Bachman saga was kind of covered in a lot of controversy. Uh Uh-huh. So, Stephen King controversy? I know. (laughs) (laughs) So he started writing under this name for two reasons one because his publishers would only let him publish one book a year yeah and he was writing more than that mm-hmm. and the second was more of a psychological reason so after his initial fame stephen king started to get a bit of imposter syndrome he started believing people were only buying his books because they were books by stephen king so he wanted to kind of prove to himself that he was actually still a good writer by publishing under another name to see if he could still get the acclaim he got with his other books under a different name. Um, but that wasn't the only controversy that Richard Bachman had. No? Did he had more? Well, first of all, when he was discovered, a lot of people weren't happy about it. Mm. <laughs> I, I, even if you check on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. I think there's a picture of... Richard Bachman, that the name is Richard something. Is that the guy that appears in the picture is Richard something. But of course, you know, Richard Bachman, because Richard Bachman is Stephen King. Yeah, I, I love once he was discovered and Stephen King decided to just write under Stephen King again. He said that Richard Bachman had died. And when asked from what, I think he said the uh, pseudonym of cancer or the cancer pseudonym oh. or something like that. I thought it was very clever. But there was one more controversy before, and that was uh, the very first book that was published under the name Richard Bachman was uh, the book Rage. Mm -hmm. And that book is based on a a troubled teenage boy who shoots his algebra teacher and attacks a student, I think with a wrench, if I remember right. 
and around that time it started to get a bit not liked by the public because school shootings were becoming a bit more popular and then finally in 1997 there was a really bad school shooting in Kentucky where there was eight students dead and when they searched the killer's locker at school they found a copy of the book Rage Oh. and this really hurt Stephen King he, f- he was quite traumatised by it to the point that he demanded that Rage be taken out of print I am surprised because um, Rage is from 1977 or something like that. So I am surprised that well, um, that that controversy and all the stuff came out. Well, but, but, well, I imagine many that, uh, years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. many, many le- years later. But it's understandable, you know, if if you feel you've written a book that a killer has taken ideas from, you're gonna oh, yeah. have massive guilt. Oh yeah, that. no, that, that that I get, that I get. Yeah, so the Richard Bachman died of his pseudonym <laughs> cancer, and uh, he started just publishing under Stephen King again. He did at one point, I think, if I remember right, start publishing under a female name, but that was discovered as well. Yeah, anyway, Richard Bachman, I think the last book Richard Bachman released, it was in 2007 or something mm. like that. But yeah, uh, we can go if you want for uh, something funnier just because you know with this school shooting maybe we are not in the happiest moment although this is spookiest october but you know just to so yeah probably you don't know that there's uh well you don't know it it would be silly if he doesn't appear or if he is not mentioned in the simpsons it would be silly so i am sure that you remember this episode uh, I am sure that most people remember. If you have seen The Simpsons, you know this episode. And if you haven't seen The Simpsons, like, where do you live? Yeah, it's probably in, I don't know, somewhere without the Living internet. under a rock. Yeah, <laughs> under a rock. Uh, so there's this episode that Homer, well, they go all to this show and they make Homer to remember memories of his childhood and he starts shouting because he uh, thinks about a trauma that he had because he found a body. At the end, it's discovered that that body was the father of Wylon Smithers and all mm. that stuff. So all that story, that is based on a movie uh, that is called Stand By Me, like the song. Because at Stand the end... Exactly. Because <laughs> that song is in the soundtrack of that movie. Mm. But what you don't know is maybe... Well, maybe don't know. Maybe that that movie, Stand By Me, is based on a short novel of Stephen King called oh, wow. The Body. <laughs> and it's about three kids that, well, they are in their summer vacation. They go around and, well, they found a body. Hmm. I remember South Park doing an episode where, where there's a trope of The Simpsons did it, The Simpsons did it. Well, maybe in The Simpsons they need to be like, Stephen King did it, Stephen King did exactly, it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. He appeared on The Simpsons. I am sure that this is not the only time that he appears on The Simpsons because at the end, Stephen King, I am sure that there's any... Halloween. Well, he appears on a, there's a Shining in Halloween. There is, there is yeah. a Shining mini episode within a Halloween episode. But I have another tie to The Simpsons that maybe you don't know about. Mm. Prove me. Okay. So people may or may not know that Stephen King had a had a go at directing. Mm-hmm. It didn't go well. No, didn't. <laughs> so the movie was called Maximum Overdrive, and it was 
based on a short story called Trucks in the the book Night Shift. So it was his uh, directorial debut. The, people were really excited for Stephen King to direct one of his own kind of, uh, well, a movie based on one of his own books. But there were two problems with this. One, Stephen King had no directing experience and had no clue what he was doing. Yeah, well, that that's what happens when you have no experience. And the second thing is he was in the height of his addiction issues. He was drinking on set, he was he was on substances, and the tie to The Simpsons is that Yearly Smith, who you may know as the voice of Lisa Simpson, yeah. was the main actress in this film. Sure. Yeah, she was. <laughs> I didn't know that one, see? <laughs> so she was the main actress, and she spoke a little bit about her experience. Um, one was she remembers that at 5 p.m., Stephen King would start drinking beer. Oh. And the she had a very vivid memory of there's a scene in the movie where there's a car that, like, drives and almost hits her. Mm-hmm. And they were filming this scene, and uh, Stephen King comes up to her and he goes, look, stand here. It looked like in the movie that the car is coming really fast, but it's going to be really slow. Don't worry about it. And the car went full speed and, like, crashed the wall. <laughs> And yeah. one of the things she said was he had no idea what he was doing and he had no regard for health and safety. I think that one day we could release a nerding in the deep of films that they were a pure disaster <laughs> yeah. on the set. Yeah, and not just on the set, but on the box office, that yeah. film was a disaster as well. To be honest with you, that movie out of that book... It's not the only one that comes out of that book. Because that book that you say, Night Shift, at the end is the fourth book of uh, Stephen King. And it's about um, short stories. Mm-hmm. I am not sure if you remember one of the movies of... I don't know if it was the uh, late 80s, early 90s, that it was called The Children of the Corn. Mm-hmm. So there are like six or seven or eight movies about that. Yeah, but people it, love creepy children. But it was a short story. In that book, mm. also, in uh, Night Shift from Stephen King. And they took that and they make a film adaptation that, to be honest with you, wasn't really good. <laughs> he didn't direct it. He had learned his lesson. I don't know. Never he, direct again. <laughs> he he didn't direct it. And then I recommend anyone that... Because Night Shift is not one of uh, Stephen King's most famous books. If you haven't read it and you are not much into short stories, at least... I promise you that you won't get disappointed. I um, recommend you to uh, read the short story called The Last Rung on the Ladder. Uh, I think it's a very interesting story. And, you know, uh, I think that everyone can learn a little bit about that. Uh, it's a kind of like... Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil anything mm. because they are short stories. So whatever you say, you can always. But I think his short stories are really good for anyone who's like heard the name Stephen King, maybe seen some of the movies that have come out of mm-hmm. his books, and are thinking about reading his novels but aren't quite sure. Yeah. Try one of his short stories. Yeah, and if not, you can always try to introduce yourself a little bit in the Stephen King world through the movies. There are some movies that are good. We mentioned. Carrie before, which uh, from, I think it's Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma has really good movies like Scarface and, of course, uh, Carrie. But uh, then, if not, you have another movie that is really, really good. One of my favorites, and it was my first Stephen King book, that it was Misery. 
that we have there the enormous and great Kathy Bates. Mm-hmm. And um, I really recommend you to watch the movie Misery. Like, if you haven't read the book and if you don't know anything about or if you don't know much about Stephen King, at least I recommend you to, to watch the movie Misery mm. because it's it's a hard movie, you know, to watch. And it's a hard book um, because it's very oppressive. Yeah, did you know that Misery was inspired by his fans' reaction to his first kind of dive into pure fantasy, which was his uh, epic fantasy novel, The Eyes of the Dragon? No. Yeah, so he he released it, and to be honest, it's not that bad. Like, I I really don't see that much wrong with it, Um, but his hardcore fan base kind of wanted him pigeonholed into strictly the horror genre because he is amazing at it. So he felt quite trapped and stifled by his own fans, which led to the creation of the the main character in Misery. That I can understand that mm-hmm. because at the end, the main character of Misery, she is very crazy and she is forcing the main. Um, sorry, not the main character of Misery. The the main villain. The main villain, yeah, because she is forcing the main character, which is a writer, mm. to not kill. Misery, to write a novel where he doesn't kill Misery, which is the Misery is the main character of the writer's books. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, that's one of the things that we have to learn that we were saying before about the Stephen King. He takes a lot of his personal experience. In this case, uh, probably you have realized this, there are a lot of frustrated writers in Stephen King's <laughs> uh, books, and there are a lot of writers that have to f- uh, fight the white you know the the blank screen mm. and of course in misery is also a writer that has to deal with a very 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 crazy fan yeah because kathy bates as much as i love her and as much as good actress she is she's damn nuts in that in in that um, <laughs> and in the well not kathy movie. bates but in the book like yeah. that's crazy <laughs> oh no in the book that's 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 real crazy if uh, you're a celebrity or a writer or anything like that do not read the book misery you'll become paranoid yeah probably <laughs> probably but yeah that the, the thing is like main issue with stephen king is that i could keep talking about him and we would make two or three episodes about him because i am just realizing that well you mentioned fantasy right now which we should say and we should be honest any one of us thinking that yes there are a lot of horror in Stephen King's books but fantasy is one of the biggest uh, predominant one of the biggest uh, themes on Stephen King books Mm. in it you have a fantasy theme there of course the Dark Tower saga it's also with a very big thing of uh, fantasy Mm. and then we were saying about the psychological powers of Carrie or you know, pet cemetery, people coming out of life, or mm. so at the end there's a or even the shining. Um, we have uh, has some even fantasy mm. traits. Great movie, by the way. Though Stephen King himself would disagree. He actually hates the movie adaptation. To be honest, um, Stephen King hates the movie that Stanley Kubrick made. Mm. He thinks that it's a treason, mostly because he thinks so. In in the book. Jack Torrance becomes crazy because of the influence of the Hotel Overlook, Mm -hmm. while in the movie that is not a state, it's more because of the situation Jack Torrance is in. So he didn't like how it was developed. And he liked another movie that it was made about The Shining, Mm -hmm. 
that it was completely not a success. It was a complete <laughs> failure. So yeah, Stephen King, your taste in movies, it seems that it's not, it's not very mainstream, at least, we'll say. And yeah, before we have to go, I, I really would like to talk about because, to be honest with you, we are uh, talking about a lot of Stephen King and we are still going to, as I was saying, leave something without talking. Yeah. But we can't <coughs> we can't do a Stephen King episode exactly. without talking about probably his most famous book turned million times movie because they've made a few adaptions at this stage. It. It. It is. Well, it is, first of all, my favorite uh, book mm-hmm. of Stephen King, probably the favorite of a lot of people. Uh, it was my second book of Stephen King that I read. And first and foremost, you have to realize that one of the things that the Stephen King doll does really well in a lot of his books is that some of the main characters are or children or teenagers. That's great because for children and teenagers, they have a most vivid imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when if they see something supernatural like a ghost or a monster or something like that it's more believable that they don't get that in a in a in the mind of a child is kind of like it's more believable mm. that something like that exists yeah. you know so it's not as weird in a novel but one of the things that before going to it one of the things that we have to highlight is that Stephen King probably one was one of the first horror writers that decided to kill children on his books he really for his time broke boundaries yeah like understandably understandably the idea of child death is unnatural Mm -hmm. to us and rightfully so but there was kind of a boundary back then where you just didn't cross that line so for us reading it it's horrific because you know any child death is horrific but at the same time there's other medias that we have come across that have dealt with this issue. But if you think back to how our parents probably read this book, I imagine it was very shocking. Yeah. In Pet Cemetery, you have the death of the child under a, a 16-wheel truck. And of course, in It, you have the start of the book um, that Georgie mm-hmm. dies and... Uh, it, it's very, you have to highlight here that it is well done. It is really well done. Uh, it's a, it's not a horrific start. What I mean is, of course it's horrific, but what I mean is it starts with Georgie with his brother Bill. Mm. And George, Bill is very sick and it's raining outside and Georgie asks Bill to make him one of these paper boats mm-hmm. while uh, also his mom is in the background playing uh, for Elisa. Mm -hmm. And, well, um, Georgie takes the bow that Bill makes for him, and he goes to the street. And we are told how Georgie gets fun on the water, so at the end you are reading the fun story, or that part of a child Mm -hmm. following a boat, and it seems a happy child. Yeah. And, well, he then finds the clown. He finds Pennywise. And when he finds Pennywise, of course, you are swift into that tense conversation where you know that something is not right because even they tell you that George smells kind of like circles and popcorn and elephants and all that stuff. But in the background, there's sewers and Mm -hmm. rats and death bodies and, and, well, and at the end, 
Stephen King tells you how Pennywise kills George and cuts his arm mm. off. And it's something so horrible that I remember when I read it, I had to reread it. And I didn't have to reread it just because I was thinking, oh, this has been so well told that I have to reread it to appreciate it. No, 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 it wasn't anything like that. It was more like, I cannot believe this has happened. I'm going to reread it because I'm sure that I just have misunderstood something. Yeah, but that's one of the things, to go back to um, his witnessing of the his childhood friend being mm -hmm. hit by the train, I think that's one of the reasons he might be able to describe such a horrific child death in such a way that's shocking to us because it feels very real. Mm -hmm. But also, especially if we go back to Pet Cemetery and the child being hit with the 16-wheel yeah. truck, I think it's it's very well done in two ways. There's the people like us who haven't experienced such a traumatic event ourselves yeah. that are so shocked by it because it's described so well and it just doesn't feel natural to us. But then you have the people that have experienced a, a very traumatic sight like that who i think appreciate the realness for sure. of it because he he doesn't sugarcoat it no he doesn't he doesn't at all he's not a sugarcoater type, no. type writer no and before we finish because before we realize we are getting closer to the end yeah one of the things that i think that we connect so easy with Stephen King and Stephen King books is because he's really good on what he does. He really knows what he does and he really knows what he's writing, which techniques of writing he uses. Oh, techniques of writing. Am <laughs> I sensing a Carlos literature moment? Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, there's something very important that he does in some of his books. I think that he does it in one of his books that it's called um, The Dead Zone, but it's also... He uses also in Stephen in it's in it yeah, yeah. in it sorry he is, this technique is called prolepsis and is the technique kind of like flash forwarding so he tells you first of all he tells you an event in advance that it's gonna happen mm -hmm. but then he sets you in the past on the story okay. so so you may know what is gonna happen in the future but. First of all, the story starts so it way, sets way you up, kind of knowing a little bit of what's going to happen, but then brings you back to the past. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in this case, uh, for the first time in Nerding in the Deep, I want you just to read just the first paragraph of of it. It. Yeah. Okay. So we can understand a little bit more of this technique. Okay. I'll do my best reading voice. Yeah. Okay. The terror, which would not end for another twenty-eight years if it ever did end, began, so far as I know or can tell, with a boat made from a sheet of newspaper floating down a gutter, swollen with rain. Okay, I see that. He's telling us that the horror will end, supposedly. Supposedly, because if it ever end. But then brings us back to the start. The start, the start. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's something that reminds me of Shakespeare, actually. Yeah. So I studied a bit of Shakespeare in mm -hmm. college. And uh, one of the things that I was taught was that... So back in, in Shakespeare's time, if someone was going to see a play, they wanted to know immediately if it was a tragedy or a comedy. Mm -hmm. So Shakespeare ran into a problem with Romeo and Juliet because the beginning of the book very much leads up to it being like a comedy. But we all know how Romeo and Juliet ends, and it's very it's, much a tragedy. It's not a comedy, no. 
So Shakespeare does something very similar and he tells you at the beginning, you know, he uses the line, something along the lines of, oh, I tell you this tale of woe of Juliet and her Romeo to let you know that this is not a comedy. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's a really good way to connect with the people and the people know and that. And I warn them. <laughs> and they know what, they, what to expect, you yeah. know. And, and at the end, because you have told them uh, something that is going to happen in the future, people expect for that, so they want to know more about that, yeah. you know. Maybe a modern example would be um, the series How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, exactly. You know that Ted met the mother, yeah. but you don't know the story. But yeah, we the, don't know uh, who it is, but we know we're going to meet them eventually. But the story starts with, I'm going to tell you the story of how I met your mother. So it starts blah, 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 and it starts in the past, you yeah. know, something like that. Very good one. But I think that that's one very important part on how uh, Stephen King connects his books and how he connects with mm. his audience. But another way I think that he really connects with his audience is that the horrors that Stephen King narrates, mm -hmm. the horrors that Stephen King writes about, this is not about monsters. This is not about psychological powers. This is not about weird dimensions. Sure, they are present in... And they definitely add to it. Yeah, but this is about characters. Mm. This is about the struggles of the characters. This is about how Henry Bowers and his gang bullies the club, the club of the losers. Yeah, he's the scary one. Yeah, this is how about the people in the high school bullies um, Carrie. Mm. This is how about a dog that has the rabies mm. leaves a kid and his mom inside a car. I'm oh, talking about Cujo. I have an interesting fact about that one. Okay. You know how I was talking earlier about how Stephen King gets a lot of his ideas from very mundane, normal yeah. things that happen to him. So he went into a shop once and he went, as soon as he went in, this giant St. Bernard came bounding towards him and almost attacked him. And that's where he got his inspiration for Cujo. Yeah, but but the, that's it. It's about things that could happen. In Misery, we have a maniac that, and, and at the end, that could happen in every single, mm. you know, one of his books. And I think that's how he does so well mm. on on horror. Even it had like very mundane. Yeah, background. exactly. The, the the thing is that so most of the books of Stephen King they are based in Maine. Maine exists, but he usually picks up Derry that doesn't exist or or another towns that he chooses in Derry that mm. doesn't uh, sorry in Maine that doesn't exist. But in it what you have is that well, you have it because we are going to call it it, because the club of the losers call it it. Mm -hmm. Because at the end, Pennywise the Clown is not it. Pennywise the Clown is one of the many avatars yeah, that it like has. Yeah, like a version of, the, of exactly. the entity. But when you read the book, you find that it, well, transforms on anything that scares. It's like a bogart yeah. of, the, of Harry Potter, mm. but in a scary <laughs> stuff. It which is interesting because Pennywise, even um, if we go back to the origins of how it mm -hmm. came to be, was Stephen King was walking across uh, a bridge and was thinking about how underneath could be scary and the that became sewers. And then when he thought about what could um, scare the kids under a bridge, he thought back to the, the tale of the Billy Goat's Gruff. So I, originally Pennywise was a troll, but kids aren't as afraid of trolls as they are of clowns and that's how Pennywise exactly. came into it. Exactly. Also the clowns sometimes have that 
nice face. So kids would feel comfy with yeah. Pennywise until Pennywise so has them very face. exactly. <laughs> but in the in the original book, Pennywise transforms himself into <clears throat> monsters that the kids have seen in the movies, like the mummy or the werewolf or mm. the monster of the lake or the monster of Frankenstein. It, that wasn't the like. Of course, if you are reading the book, you can you can feel scared, but not you are not super scared. This more because you know the danger mm. that that can bring. But at the end, when I was really scared, when I was reading um, it, it was when Henry Bowers and his gang mm. were trying to catch the club of the losers, or when. Beverly Marsh is trapped by her father, mm. or when uh, I think it was Eddie Kasbrack, the other one of the Club of the Losers, that uh, his mom, uh, she is, well, she is very, very conscious of viruses and medicine and yeah. all that stuff, and she's taking care of him all the time and all that stuff, and yeah. smothers him. It's out that she has a, a, a disease, psychological condition called Munchausen's by yeah. proxy. Yeah, so those moments were more scary and oppressive than sometimes mm. Pennywise. It's not that Pennywise is not scary. Of course it's scary. I couldn't watch clowns for a long time after reading the book. But what did really brands people or what people really remember, people usually doesn't remember that Pennywise also transforms into a mummy or into a werewolf. Or, no, people remember the clown because clowns are really real. And people remember Henry Bowers because Henry Bowers is a bully and everyone yeah. has known a bully in their but life. But when he, even in the most recent movie adaption, when we went to see it, like the uh, scene where Henry Bowers is like really beating the crap out of people or the kind of, not even when Beverly's dad is hitting her, but like just the vibe and stuff. Yeah. Those were the moments that made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's the bit for me that I remember more than anything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because those are the moments that they mark you yeah. at the end. You have a, a, that mark, you, you remember mm. that. I think that because if we continue, I'm afraid that I'm going to continue kind of like half an hour, one hour more. So I think that the smartest thing maybe could be a stopping here. Mm -hmm. If you people want us to really deep dive in one of the Stephen King's stories... Or if you want our next uh, deep dive episode to be strictly Stephen King as a person. Yeah, you can write us at, at Nerd in Deep and we can do that one. But if not, well, maybe in the next October, so next year, we can go for a second part hmm. for speaking a little bit more about his books, movies or obscure facts. But I think that, yeah, for this episode... We have to stop like being a fanboy and girl about it or we'll continue forever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But um, this has been our second episode of Spooky Month. Yeah, episode seven in total. Yeah. As we mentioned in our last episode, that was about spooky games. Yeah. We've been keeping our Twitter followers up to date on the spooky games we're, we're playing for October. Mm -hmm. So if you guys want to follow along with us or if you want to recommend more games for us to play this month, remember to head over to our Twitter at Nerding Deep and follow along or leave us your suggestions. Yeah, we're looking forward for any game that you want to recommend. But for now, we're going to end here. We mm -hmm. hope you're enjoying Spooky Month and are looking forward to Halloween. 
Yeah, well, we hope that you scare a lot of children. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we hope that we have inspired you to pick up a Stephen King book, whether you've never read any of his books or if you have and want to pick him up again. Or if you want to reread. You know? Exactly. Re I never get tired of rereading Stephen yeah. King's books. Exactly. But for now, we're going to leave you. Yeah. I've been Valerie. And I've been Carlos. And we'll see you next time. See ya.